Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch with Shale Magazine. My name is Alvin Bailey alongside your host, Kim Bilotto. Kim, a couple of great guests on tap today. We've got David Blackman coming up. Also, our energy expert. Our energy expert. And also, we've got a super special guest coming up later in the show. And with that, Kim, let's bring in our first guest. He's our resident oil and gas expert, David Blackman. Kim? Thanks, Alvin. And once again, it's time for our resident energy expert, David Blackman, who is with DB Energy. David, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you know, we've had an interesting week uh, this week with more things that are happening in the Trump uh, area, as well as in um, his selection for who is going to be Secretary of State and uh, and who looks like it'll be Secretary of State and also his um, nomination for the uh Energy department. So the first thing I want to do is is ask your opinion on these two different picks. What do you feel about um, those selections? Do you feel it's kind of heavy on the energy side with looking at some of the uh, EPA selections? And how is that going to fare for the energy department as a whole for the next four years? Well, uh, it's two very interesting picks. Um, it's certainly. Uh, uh, Mr. Tillerson is a very unconventional choice for Secretary of State. Secretaries of State have typically been people who have a, either a diplomatic or a political background, and uh, he has neither. But you know, he's uh, made deals on behalf of ExxonMobil in dozens of countries all over the world, and has relationships. Uh, 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 all the relationships necessary to be effective in the job, and uh, you know, he is certainly a very impressive. Uh, Person, and I think uh, you know. I think there's every reason to believe he'll be a very effective representative for the country. Uh, Governor Perry at Energy is totally logical choice. Uh, you know, he ha as governor has uh, presided over the biggest expansion of the uh, both the oil and gas industry and the wind industry anywhere in the country over the last 15 years. Um, the oil and gas industry in Texas is orders of magnitude bigger than any other state in the union at this point. And uh, when he left office, we were the third largest producer of natural gas in the world and the eighth largest producer of crude oil on the face of the earth. And by you know, far and away, the largest producer of wind energy in the United States. So he has a, a pretty amazing and well-rounded background with energy and I think will be a very effective secretary there. Uh, Governor Perry has always been very effective in every job he's held, and I don't know why we would expect any difference in Washington. And you know what we need to really keep uh, an eye on is the fact that, you know, a couple, 20 years ago we didn't really have a path to energy independence, and we do now. And, and there's so many positive reasons why the United States needs to be moving in that direction, and the biggest one is national security. 
and having the adequate resources for our uh, population as well as to be able to defend ourselves. So I think that there's just, it's a very uh, big picture that when I look at it and say this is really in our best interest to have people who understand how important energy is to the United States. I mean, I think the other really interesting thing about these selections is they, it it seems as though Trump is moving away from uh, the status quo of having, uh, putting a lot of elected officials back in his cabinet and is really moving towards bringing business owners who know how to create jobs, balance budgets, uh, and have worked or have run very competent uh, successful companies, <laughs> unlike these elected officials that we have, you know, uh, an unbalanced budget and everything is just so out of control. Um, so right. totally opposite. It's, it's a great, uh, it's great to see the change occurring that uh, the promises that he made are looking like he plan- he plans on fulfilling them, quite frankly. Well, and that's the key. And, and that's why it's so amusing that, uh, his opponents uh, express shock that he's choosing people who are outside uh, the political establishment and outside the norm of who you would expect to be chosen for these jobs. It's exactly what he campaigned on, and uh, the horror in the news media and and among his opponents in the Democratic Party is that he's apparently intending on keeping the promises he made during the campaign, which admittedly is very unusual. Uh, for a political office holder in Washington, but uh, but uh, it's actually kind of refreshing given the, the recent history in that job. And you know, a lot of uh, the environmentalists have have you know really been waging this uh, political campaign against the appointment of uh, Rex Tillerson due to the fact that he is an oil and gas and energy executive. Uh, but what they don't realize is is, you know, Mr. Tillerson has very much been open and honest about finding the way of um, getting resources, but doing it in a way that protects the environment and um, making sure that he doesn't always agree with big oil and gas. He actually will go on the record of saying when something's not good, he'll say it. And when something is good, he'll, he'll also say it. So in my mind, what I feel is this isn't just big oil coming in, going to pollute the planet and all the other nonsense that's being spewed. It's more of he really does have an opinion that doesn't always match up with big oil. Uh, and it's the largest oil company or one of the largest oil companies in the world. So I think that that's important for us to remember is that he's not just going to go big oil. He's going to look at the environment and he will take precautions as needed to protect all of us as citizens of the United States. Um, David, I want to move on because we've had some movement in the oil and gas area. You know, um, Permian Basin area here in Texas uh, finally peaked over 300 rigs um, here recently. And I we do see some movement in the Eagle Ford as well. Wells are starting to come back on. But we've also seen a drop in uh, oil prices again. So they've kind of been going up and down and teetering up and teetering down. Tell me a little bit about what you think, what's causing it, um, and where do you see us going um, here in the next couple of weeks as we go through the holidays? Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, all the indicators really in the market are pretty bullish for the oil price, and, and it did jump up after uh, the OPEC-Russia uh, agreement was announced late last week. Uh, it has tapered off somewhat this week because of the dollar strengthening against other currencies, and uh, you know, every time the dollar 
uh, strengthens, the price of oil tends to go down. But when you really look at the market indicators, uh, if you believe that uh, the OPEC countries and Russia are really going to adhere to what they agreed to and come January, um, combine that with a pretty strong inventory draw reported by the Energy Information Agency uh, on Wednesday, um, and just other factors, uh, demand is continuing to to, to rise uh, at a pretty steady rate globally, and uh, even the uh, International Energy uh, administration announced uh, early in the week that they expect the the surplus to be completely gone by the middle of the year next year. So other than the strengthening dollar, um, the market indicators are pretty bullish. So once, uh, you know, once the dollar uh, stops this uh, increase, this rise, uh, I would anticipate the price of crude going back up through the end of the year at least. There was one <laughs> one story on Monday. Uh, the former president of, of Gulf Oil Company predicted the price would be seventy five dollars by the end of this year. I I have a hard time seeing how that can possibly happen, but you know you could see it being up around fifty five by the end of the year. Well, that's what it takes for Eagle Ford and a couple of other shell plays to. Uh, get some rigs back online. Lastly, I want to talk to you about a very, you know, there's so much uh, media coverage right now on this uh, Russians impacting and hacking the U.S. elections. And I wanted to get your opinion on, to me, it seems not logical of why they would want Donald Trump to be the president. I mean, if you if you think about it the way I see it, okay, Russia their whole, not their whole economy, but a lot of their economy is dependent on oil as well. And Donald Trump was very clear. He does not plan on doing what Hillary Clinton was going to do, which is shut down fracking the United States. He was going to open it up. And so doesn't that make the United States the least likely candidate? I mean, Trump, Donald Trump, the least likely candidate that he's going to want in Washington with him opening the you know, U.S. shell plays and then competing on a world market against their resources and what they've been selling and possibly us selling to our allies instead of them having to buy from Russia. This makes no sense well, to me yeah, why they think this. Yeah, I think logically you hit on it. I think uh, the whole thing is the biggest fake news story in, in American history. And uh, by the end of the year, it'll probably have run its course. The CIA was supposed to brief Congress on Wednesday, canceled the, the briefing at the last moment. Um, you know, and, and the reality is the CIA hasn't actually said anything about the election being hacked uh, by the Russians. That's been a, an invention of the news media uh, and, and and John Podesta and others. Uh, what they've said is that they believe the Russians were behind the hacking of the Democratic National Committee and the release of the Mr. Podesta's emails. And it turns out the truth is that Mr. Podesta was you know, allowed himself to be fished by a fake email. He clicked on the wrong email. Uh, he was using a password that was very easy to guess. And that's the reason why his email account apparently uh, got released to whoever the third party was. But the reality is that, you know, this is just um, the, the losers in the election casting about to, to blame somebody other than themselves for why they lost. And that can only go on for so long. Well, I definitely agree with you. This is a definitely, it, this gets stranger and stranger 
of how the Democrats are handling the loss. David, that's all the time we have this week. We look forward to having you come back on. It's a pleasure speaking with you again, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Great. Looking forward to it. Kim, always great to have David Blackman on. What a great expert to have access to. And and with that, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, along with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from Shale Studios, and we'll be right back. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Hi, and welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, alongside your host, Kim Bellotto. Special guest in studio today, Kim, Chairman David Porter of the Texas Railroad Commission. Chairman Porter, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Uh, Chairman, we haven't seen you in a while, and, you know, we're glad to have you back on the show. And and Kim's got a whole big, long list of the tough questions to ask you today. And I think we're going to talk about the Sunset Commission, correct, Kim? That's right, Alvin. We actually have with us, of course, the Chairman of the Railroad Commission. Chairman Porter, you um, just came back from a very long extended trip on some state business. but And so I want to get into that. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about you are – um, exiting the uh, Texas Railroad Commission and going on into a private sector position. So, Chairman Porter, tell us a little bit about your role right now at the uh, Texas Railroad Commission and how long have you been serving and uh, a little bit about the position as being the chair. I was selected in November of 10, uh, went on, actually went on the commission early January of 2011 and been serving for now over five and a half years. My term will be up December 31st. I did not run for re-election this year, so I will be going off the commission and going back into the private sector, and I'm very much looking forward to that challenge and doing things outside of uh, the government bureaucracy once again. Chairman Porter, we are sad to see you go because some of the things that are under your legacy are some really unique things such as the Eagle Ford Shell Task Force that you created and your true expansion and belief in natural gas and and I just want to cover those things because they were really truly visionary things that you thought about mostly speaking about the Eagle Ford Shell Task Force why did you think about doing that and what really is the Eagle Ford Shell Task Force One of the primary things that motivated me for running for the Railroad Commission in the first place was the realization that without public support, it was going to be difficult for the industry, which is the economic backbone of the state of Texas, to continue to be successful long term. 
And I thought as important as oil and gas was to the state and to the country that it needed to be successful long-term, and I wanted to help in that endeavor. And that's really what motivated me to run. So when it appeared that the Eagleford Shale, appeared to me that the Eagleford Shale was going to be a big deal, I wanted to make sure that we got out in front of it, were proactive at the Railroad Commission, didn't make the same kind of mistakes that I... I hate to say it, but frankly, quite kind of were done when the Barnett Shale became a big deal a few years before that. You know, 2004, 5, 6 era, the commission was probably not as proactive in letting people know what was going on and that how they actually did regulate oil and gas in the state of Texas. So that that was my motivation for starting the Eagle for Shale. I think it was very successful. We came out with a excellent uh, report that um, is still looked on in many circles as a real first primer about a shale play. Still has a lot of valuable information. Uh, there are a lot of organizations now that have picked up. Uh, we're kind of at the end of the life of the Eagleford Shale Task Force uh, with um, my term ending, but um, a lot of organizations are active now. A lot of dialogue that's gone on in the Eagleford Shale just starting the conversation and making sure all sides were listened to as far as landowners, royalty owners, service companies, the oil producers, the community leaders, the local government, I think, was a major benefit in the Eagleford shale development running as smoothly as it did. Not that it was totally smooth, but I think it was much, much smoother than it would have been if it had not not been for the efforts of the Eagle for Shale Task Force and our members and efforts of a lot of other groups in the Eagleford. Well, I mean, when I think about it, it was extremely unusual to see a government agency elected, you know, by the people of Texas to be out in the community asking from a new group of individuals, whether they were royalty right owners, landowners, elected officials, the mayors, the judges in these small communities that had never really experienced an oil boom, you and the agency were ahead of the game in, in inquiring and asking and getting them used to somebody is listening or getting them familiar with the fact that you cared and the agency cared enough to hear what their concerns um, you know, were at the time. And of course, you continue to grab uh, the community and the elected officials in on that. And so we saw a spinoff of other uh, coalitions and um, consortiums begin as well as a result of that, too. So I think it was very instrumental. And it's definitely, to me, the way to go if you're going to start a shell play or if you're getting a community, a new community involved in oil drilling education and communication are the keys to having a successful shell play as we saw with eagle ford a lot of things occurred before uh in discussion before there was this community outcry of anger and frustration with the elected officials and of course with the texas railroad commission you also supported natural gas um, and one of the leaders of continuing to talk about how important natural gas is to the expansion of texas so let's talk a little bit about that no, I'm happy to. I think um, a as a result of all the success we've had in the Shell plays, including the Eagleford, the Barnett, uh, to a certain extent over in East Texas, and then, of course, out in the Permian Basin, is, as everyone knows, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we were 
worried that we were going to run out of natural gas, we were actually encouraging people not to use natural gas. And then all of a sudden, we've got more natural gas than we really know what we what to do with. Um, still trying to get the pipelines and infrastructure in place to use all that's being produced. So, uh, and, and as a result, natural gas had gotten much lower. Where a few years ago it was um, actually ten, ten, twelve dollars an MCF for a while now. Within the last year, it was down around two dollars. It's come back a little bit to two fifty, but it's still extremely cheap from the viewpoint of how much energy an MCF of natural gas produces. Uh, much cheaper than uh, the equivalent energy from oil, even at current prices. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey, alongside your host Kim Bellotto, and our special guest today, Chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, David Porter. We'll be right back. Hey, oil and gas friends, Alvin Bailey here. You know, every week, Kim and I work really hard to bring you up to speed with what's going on out here in the Texas oil patch. I also want to take just a minute to talk to you about your fleet needs. Whether you have one truck or 1,000 trucks in your fleet, I can help you. Call me when you have a minute and let's talk trucks. Did you know that the Kalig Auto Group offers pickup and delivery right from our service departments? And I'll bring the dealership right to your desk. You don't need to drop what you're doing and come waste hours and hours of your valuable time haggling over pennies. I have a very transparent process with a simple pricing formula that ensures you're always going to get a very competitive price and the very best service available in the industry. So call me today, area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656, and let's talk. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, and our special guest in studio today, Chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, David Porter. Commissioner Porter, when we before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about natural gas, and I want to talk about how natural gas is priced in the U.S. versus other parts of the world. It's not quite the same as oil. No, that's a very interesting question. Oil, basically, is a world price. I mean... Taking into account transportation cost and difference in grade, oil basically costs the same anywhere in the world. That's not true with natural gas. Natural gas is not a worldwide market. It is still a regional market. Natural gas is cheaper right now in the U.S. than almost anywhere in the world. What kind of opportunity does that pose for producers in the U.S.? Because we can export natural gas as, as well as oil now. It, it certainly is a positive for U.S. producers. If we can export natural gas, they can increase market share, get a higher price for their product, and uh, hopefully in the long run that will happen. Now, one of the reasons why natural gas is at a regional market while oil is a worldwide market is that it is much easier to transport oil than it is natural gas. Uh, oil you can put in a container, natural gas you basically have to put in a pipeline. To transport natural gas for long distances, you, you can't without either compressing it or liquefying it. So that's where CNG and LNG come into effect. And these LNG export terminals that are being ports that are being built in the U.S., uh, one right across the river in Sabine Pass in Louisiana has just started exporting. 
their you know five, six, seven billion dollar investments in capital to get those up. So it takes a lot to get one of those plants built. Now once you do it, you can liquefy and transport around the world. So hopefully in the future that will be a big advantage to U.S. industry. But there, there are other companies that are countries that are doing this also. Australia is big on liquefied natural gas, and they're trying to serve a lot of the Asian export markets. Um, so we, we, we certainly will have some competition in that business. But as of right now, U.S. is the lowest cost producer. Now, does the do the U.S. producers have that sales team that's traveling around the world looking for those natural gas customers, or is this something that we're just going to develop over the next however many years? Uh, certainly the people that have started to make the major investment in the LNG plants are starting starting to do this work, but certainly... The U.S. has not, because of the history of natural gas and how we thought we were running out, has not spent a lot of time and effort on those markets over long periods of time. And that's one of the things that I was recently trying to do when we were overseas in Southeast Asia. Uh, Myself and uh, some other staff members and state representative were on a trade delegation trying to encourage some of the Southeast Asian countries to consider the fact that the U.S. has a lot of natural gas, that natural gas is going to be there for the long term, that they can plan on using that to meet their energy and power needs. Now, Kim, I wanted to bring up natural gas, and and here's some of the commission's expertise on natural gas because natural gas is going to be a topic in the upcoming sunset commission and i think we want to talk to chairman porter about the sunset commission that's on the horizon that's right alvin we do have the sunset review that um, is taking a look at the texas railroad commission again and it almost seems like chairman porter that the texas railroad commission seems to be reviewed quite frequently as opposed to any other uh, different commission. Can you tell me, let's start with that. Why do you think the Railroad Commission is being reviewed so much by the Sunset Review Board? Well, it's been a matter um, that there's been such a difference of opinion in the legislature that uh, they have not been able to get any legislation passed to renew it is why it's been reviewed. This will be the third time in four years or in four sessions, third time in four sessions, which would be eight years uh, that they've looked at it since I have been either on the board or this coming session right after I go off the commission. Um, So it's just a matter that it's been controversial. There's been a lot of difference of opinion in the legislature and outside of the legislature what what should be done. So they have not been able to come to a conclusion and, and vote on it. I can't imagine anything the legislature would allow to go to the 11th hour. Come on now. (laughs) You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey alongside Kim Bellotto and our special guest in studio, Chairman David Porter of the Texas Railroad Commission. We'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that will keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. 
So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Amerijet's global cargo network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. And we're back within the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Porter, chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. So, Chairman Porter, this election cycle was very interesting, I think, to all Americans. Um, As things got going, if you will, they got very interesting. That being said, um, we do now have a new president, president President-elect Trump. And my thoughts are, how do you feel as the Texas Railroad Commission, he is going to do pertaining specifically to oil and gas. Um, He has mentioned that he is uh, pro-shale and pro-natural gas and pro-coal, clean coal. So what do you think, the stuff that he is saying to the American people, where do you think he will fall with um, this new presidency? I think the new administration is going to be very good for energy, particularly fossil fuels. I I think if the election had gone the other way, we'd be facing some real difficulties. But I think this administration realizes that energy is the economic lifeline of the country, and we've got to have a lot of efficient economical energy and the best way to produce that is through fossil fuels specifically natural gas oil and yes we still need some coal to make electricity and if we're going to have a strong robust economy it's going to take a little bit of everything it's going to take uh, the nuclear that we've got left with the renewables that are out there that are part of the mix and the Once again, I sound like a broken record, but the strong backbone of energy production are fossil fuels, natural gas, oil, and and coal. And this administration understands that. I don't think we're going to have the hostility that we had had from the current administration. One of the things that I've had to do repeatedly as a railroad commissioner was go to Washington, D.C. three or four times to testify about the EPA the problems that it has given the states in regulating the industry, the difficulty, the impediments that the EPA has put up to the oil and gas industry, I think that will be somewhat alleviated by this new administration. So I'm, I'm very positive on what it's going to mean for oil and gas and, and for energy production totally. 
And normally, though, that's kind of the job of Congress is to hear the pros and cons and then make policy. And this administ- this past administration, we didn't see that. We saw a lot of this stuff coming down through executive orders. And this is what uh, President-elect Trump is talking about is repealing all of this. But he's also discussing some very interesting facts about um, – basically telling Saudi Arabia, we don't know we necessarily want to buy oil from you anymore. And we're looking towards being energy independent completely and using our own oil. Now, is that a pipe dream or is this possibly a reality? And what would be the world implications if we did? Because we know that the refineries right now are equipped to where we are purchasing oil from countries like Saudi Arabia, who, in my opinion, do not have United States' best interest at heart. But when when I listen to Trump, he's discussing things like, why don't we use our own energy here, created locally, domestically here, and utilize it and uh, live off of our own resources as opposed to importing And so I want your opinion because I don't quite know how I feel about that, and I don't know if it's even possible. Well, we've got a couple of different ways of looking at it. If we're looking at it from a net total overall energy position, the U.S. is roughly energy independent at this point in time. If we're taking everything, renewables, coal, natural gas, oil, all is totality. We've just recently become a net exporter of natural gas. We've been a net exporter of coal a little while longer Oil right now, we're not, we're not producing 100% of our oil needs. And I don't know that any time in the foreseeable future we will be doing that unless we change a tremendous amount of our fuel components for our transportation market from oil to natural gas. If we were to move a lot of our fleets, trucks, etc. over there, and then it would free up a lot of oil to be used otherwise domestically. So it, it will take a while to get just there in oil, but if we look at it from a North American perspective, if you add Canada and Mexico into the mix, then we definitely is possibility that we could be basically self-sufficient in oil within a very short period of time. And how does that look for us when we talk about national security? To me, it sounds like uh, it's in our best interest. I mean, we are having, we are in six wars in the Middle East currently. And a lot of that, the discussion is how much uh, are we over there because of oil and our resources? And if we didn't have that, would we be a country that didn't need to necessarily be meddling in the Middle East? Um, and I know that that's a, a tough question because it kind of depends on your beliefs. But do you believe that if we became energy independent, there really wouldn't be a need for us to be out there fighting in the Middle East? Well, certainly our energy security would be much better if the only supply lines that you have to be worried about defending are the fairly short ones from Canada or Mexico into the U.S. is certainly a lot different than defending thousands of miles from the Middle East through shipping and then into the country. So it certainly would have a much different security need and emphasis if if we were able to produce the oil that we needed in North America. But then we also have to look at our ability to export energy. And by 
you know, shutting off the, the incoming supply line, how is that going to affect the outgoing lines? I mean, we've got to look. Oil, gas, coal are all separate commodities. I, I don't think if we're not importing oil that that's necessarily going to affect our ability to export natural gas or liquefied natural gas. We're in the midst of building a lot of LNG plants in this country, and there's going to be a lot of demand nation, worldwide for natural gas. Natural gas, historically in the past, has been a regional market while oil's been a worldwide market. We're rapidly moving to the point where natural gas is also becoming a worldwide market. Very good. And with that, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey here with Kim Bellotto and our special guest in studio, Chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Commissioner David Porter. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Rita Stitch, Chairman of the Let's Rodeo Ball Committee. I would like to invite you to the upcoming Let's Rodeo Ball. This fundraising event will benefit the San Antonio Livestock Exposition, Inc. Scholarship Fund and will take place on January 21st, 2017 from 6.30 to 11.30 p.m. at the Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum in beautiful downtown San Antonio. Our entertainment will be provided by country superstars Gary Allen, Neil McCoy, and up-and-coming country artist Brett Mullins. Tickets and sponsorships are available and include dinner and open bar. So get your tickets now. Please call 210-225-5851 or visit sarodeo.com and click on the Let's Rodeo Ball picture. We hope to see you there. And welcome to the final segment of this week's In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, and our special guest in studio, Chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Commissioner David Porter. And Commissioner Porter... As your term comes to an end, you've decided not to rerun for railroad commissioner, and, and you've got some some big things on the horizon that we may or may not get into in this final segment. But and I'd, I'd like to point out to you listeners that this is a guy that set before congressional hearings, and this is and he'll never take credit for this, but I'm going to give it to him here anyway. This is a guy that I won't say he's single-handedly responsible, but he had a major part in having the oil export ban lifted by going to Congress and testifying. And you folks down in the Eagle Ford area, his Eagle Ford task force has has helped you guys prosper. I know things are tough right now, but he's really done a great job as Texas Railroad Commissioner. And Kim, I think we want to revisit some of the things that that Chairman Porter's done as Railroad Commissioner in this final segment. You know, Alvin, uh, four years ago when we started Shell Magazine um, was the opportunity that I got to meet Chairman Porter. And to see the growth in those four years of the expansion, like you said, to Eagle Ford um, and the community and the people and how they responded to um, things that maybe didn't go completely right uh, it was Chairman Porter who pulled together a one-of-a-kind task force to talk about the problems either as they were occurring or before because he looked at other shell plays and had the uh, vision to be able to look and see what is the need. So as um, your term comes to an end, I wanted to discuss, so tell us what made you want to do all of these things and run for office? Well, thank you very much for saying that. I really appreciate that. It, it's been a great honor and privilege to serve the people of Texas for the last six years. It's certainly been, been some experiences that I will, will never forget. I, I just, look, I lived in Midland, Texas for 30 years. 
So I understand the importance of oil and gas to the economy, particularly in the state of Texas. And, and I felt, when I decided to run, I felt that oil and gas was um, not getting the support that it needed, that the Railroad Commission was not getting the emphasis that it needed. The, the commission had kind of taken the approach for years that, hey, we're going to do our job, and as long as we do our job, we're going to be fine. They not only needed to do their job, but they needed to tell people they were doing their job. And I think the commission has now started doing that with the new commissioners, with the upgraded communications department that we put in. We're, do, we're starting to do a much better job of telling the story of what we're actually doing. That's been important. The Railroad Commission had been stuck in where they were not updating tech, uh, rules and regulations on a regular continual basis, uh, which is important because technology in the oil patch is changing all the time and you've got to update rules and regulations to keep up with the changing technology. And we started doing a much better job of that. And I think that's one of the things that we started doing while I was on the commission. Thirdly, the Eagle for Shell Task Force, we needed to get stakeholders involved. We needed to hear from everybody. That's become almost standard for oil and gas plays now. The, the companies are starting to see the wisdom of that. I think we were one of the very first, if not the first, in the Eagle for Shale. I still challenge people if they want to go back. I th it's on the website. Look at the Eagle for Shale report. It's, it's a very comprehensive report understanding of a shale play if you if you're not an expert in the oil and gas industry and want to learn about a shale play that's that's an excellent it's a little dated in some respects it was written in 13 but it's still an excellent excellent report natural gas 10 15 years ago we were talking about we were running out of natural gas shales came along shale play came along We've got an abundance of natural gas. The, the producers' wish prices were back where they were five, ten years ago. We're in the high twos right now. We got we crept into the low threes. We're, we're going to have abundance of natural gas in the world for the next 200-plus years, in my opinion. We've got an abundance of natural gas. People can look at natural gas. It's a low-carbon fuel. So there, there's a lot of advantages to that. Well, I do credit you with having the vision to reach out of the comfortable seat that you were in as a commissioner and just kind of do status quo and come out to the community and talk about the importance of safety, awareness, listen to royalty right owners and their concerns, the landowners, the mineral right owners. So on behalf of the radio show, Shell Magazine, our listeners, I want to thank you. This will probably be the last interview that we have with you in your official capacity as the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. Any final thoughts on uh, what do you uh, want to uh, start next? Or uh, are you uh, kind of still uh, looking at options? Or where are you heading to in 2017? Well, thank you very much. I very much appreciate that. I'm still looking at some options. I'm, I'm very close to coming to an agreement on some things, but uh, not, nothing official yet. But uh, 
hopefully in early 17, we'll be able to tell you where we're at. Well, we look forward to Alvin and I having you back on the show in 2017 to tell us where you are and uh, give our listeners an update on uh, what's happening with uh, David Porter. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. David Porter, thanks once again for being on the show with us. And congratulations because you get to be the topic of today's trivia question. If you're the first person to email the correct answer to the following trivia question to this email address, write it down. It's radio at shalemag.com. Again, radio at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. You'll win a $75 gift certificate to the beautiful and the yummy Palm Restaurant in Houston, Texas. So here's the question, folks. Listen closely. And David Porter fans, you might want to really pay attention here because uh, it's about him. What is... David Porter's catchphrase that we talked about earlier in the show. What is the catchphrase that David Porter has used during all, most of his speeches and his, his election campaign? Email us the catchphrase to radio at shalemag.com and be the first person to do so, and you'll win yourself a $75 gift certificate to the Palm Restaurant in Houston, Texas. And, Kim, with that, it looks like we're at the end of the show today. Hey, be sure and like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash in the oil patch radio show and on Twitter at shale mag. And folks, thank you so much for joining us. We love each and every one of you. And until next week, adios. In the oil patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas business and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.